Greetings, troubled listeners, and welcome back to the Troubled Men podcast. I am Renee Komen, sitting in my safe house on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, man. What's going on? Oh, you know, just uh, kind of like everybody else, been on pins and needles trying to see the uh, the outcome of this election the past few days. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. Uh, everyone's thinking this and thinking that. And what's his name? Uh, uh, Trump. Win or lose. You know, if he loses, he's not leaving. If he wins, he's still not leaving. Um, <laughs> I, 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 you know... It, I, I, I'm trying to avoid it as much as possible. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Just, yeah. I think that's a good way to stay sane. Yeah, I'm just trying to avoid it. I, and I'm waiting. I'm waiting. It's already happened, but I'm waiting for the violence to start yeah. soon. You know, um, uh, even though I voted, I still think everyone's a winner. So uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we all win. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Everyone's um, a winner. Everyone's yeah, a winner. Yeah. Step right up. But, but you know, you we talked, I think, a couple shows ago or maybe last show, how you voted early and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't vote. You know, I had to work on election day. So I got off work and I, uh, I went to vote at the school down, you know, just a few blocks away from me. Mm. And there was nobody there. I walked right in. Really? Okay, nice. Yeah, it was nice. I walked, me and my wife walked in. But the weird thing is, is that, um, you know, I walked into that booth, you know, I gave them all my information. I walked into that booth, and I all of a sudden, I got this weird, crazy, like, sense memory flashback <laughs> of being in a booth. And I got this sense memory flashback of being in the booth back in the early 80s. In Hollywood Boulevard at one of those porno arcades. Okay, sure. You know, it was the weirdest thing because, you know, those Uh, porno arcades, I'm sure they had them here and stuff before everything went to the internet, but you'd walk into a place and you'd buy a video or you'd buy a sex toy, but they had these little booths where you could watch videos, porn videos. Right. And it was the weirdest thing. I had this crazy flashback. Uh-huh. I can't. I can't claim. I can't claim to have ever had that experience. So, okay. <laughs> oh, you haven't lived, Malcolm. At you know, come on. At least, at least, at least, not honestly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm brutally honest, as you'll see as the show goes on, Malcolm. Um, okay. What happened was, right. what happened was, I had this crazy sense memory thing, and. I thought I was back in Hollywood in 1980 or in 81, you know. In a, jerking, in a porno booth. Wow. Jer- and, and, and jerking off and stuff uh-huh. like that. Right. So, it's, kind of, it's kind of what it's all about, really. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and back then, some of them weren't even video booths. They were still films. You know, they were just 16 yeah, millimeter films. Actual movie theater. Huh. Yeah. And... Uh, and what happened was was crazy. Uh, my wife was screaming, "What's going on in there? What's going on in there?" <laughs> at the, at and the, the voting booth, at the poll. Yeah, booth. yeah, uh-huh. exactly. And and the who people. Are jer- who are you jerking off to this year? <laughs> well, I I thought it was you know, I thought it was you know one of those old porn stars in the early eighties, like uh, what was her name? Uh, I forget. Seika. Seika. Uh-huh. 
Oh, I, could, I could definitely jerk off to Kamala Harris better than Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> so what happened was um, it, it, my, my flashback ended, and the first thing I noticed was that they were going to have to clean this booth. <laughs> and they're going to need the squeegee. Yeah, they're going to need the right. everything. So fortunately for me, I always carry lots of Kleenex on me. Okay. And I was able to clean up, but it was crazy. But I still got to vote, and that's what counts. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, it was, it was so, a long so, – go ahead. So maybe that's one of those spoiled votes we're talking about. Like, yeah. <laughs> the, the hanging smart the, the, the hang Chad. The hanging Chad. The hanging what? Ever. The hanging wang. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I could see, you know, that it's it's good that there wasn't a big line behind you, you know. That now, I have never actually had trouble voting on election day myself. So Me neither. It, never. It, se- it seems like New Orleans always provides enough polling places. You know, we're not trying to, to suppress the vote, um, like they are well, other places. I mean, well, legitimately, that's because seventy percent of the people in Louisiana vote for Trump. <laughs> Apparently. Well, yeah, but uh, and 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 that's true. Yeah, I know. Well, but you know, New Orleans is a Democrat-run city, so th- thankfully right. we uh, we 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 have enough polling places, and uh, that's that's good, Manny. And I pre- I'm glad you voted because I know sometimes you're you know as much of a uh, politician as you are, sometimes you're somewhat politically apathetic. So even yeah, though- yeah, I, I, yeah, that's true. But I, I I and you know I try to do my homework all the local stuff that was going on. There was a lot, man. There was a lot yeah, of judgeships. Was, there was a lot yeah. of uh, resolutions we had to vote on. You hadn't had had done your homework to know. Yeah. Well, I tried to do as much as I could, which was about 20 minutes before I went actually voted. Okay. Um, but I, I realized, uh, I, I, I voted for all women judges because <laughs> I think women are pretty, are more fair than men. I, that's what I think. You know, they, at least to me, they've been, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, so I voted for a lot of, uh, uh, women judges and I voted uh, on those amendments and I, I tried to vote incumbents out. I think that's what I ta- I said a few weeks yes. ago Yes, to, to try to vote all incumbents out because they don't give a fuck. And right. I think you know, voting them out is the best thing to do, okay. but yeah, it's over and uh, I'm done with it. And uh, no matter what happens in the next four years, my life will still be miserable. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it should, would, be, it yeah. should be more or less miserable, per- well, perhaps. Yeah. So, you know. And, uh, you know, this whole COVID thing that's going on, I think we're going to see more and more people. Uh, I mean, America has like reached a point where it's like, really? This is insanity what's going on. It's really insane how many positive cases we're having. Hit another and, record today, 111,000 yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I don't know if you've been tested. Have you been tested at all? I have not. I have not. I haven't been exposed, haven't uh, had any symptoms at all, so no, haven't had a test. Yeah, I have not been tested either. Uh, my, my wife has been tested through her work once a month. My daughter has not been tested, and she's actually gone out with friends like on Halloween and stuff like that. And I really think, uh, and I've been, you know, exposed to so many students who tested positive and have been quarantined at mm. the campus where I work. I wear my mask. I uh, try to keep the distance, but I really think the, the virus killer for me is alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> it's worked so far. Huh? Yeah. I'm, I'm having at least three cocktails a night. 
every day, seven okay. days a week. Okay. And I have not, uh, you know, had a temperature or anything like that. So, you know, it, it, it is what it is. And so we'll, we'll figure it out. You know? Well, you got to go with what, what works for you, Manny. Yeah. You know, I might, you know, uh, have blood in my stool, but that doesn't mean I have COVID-19. Well, yeah, that might be protecting you from it. You know, who exactly. knows? It's, it's a, science exactly. is complicated, man. There's a lot yeah, of moving parts yeah. to all this. I was never a good science student anyway, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, something that happened uh, that's, that's not in the election or not COVID is uh, I've, I've been telling you about this show that I was watching. It's about the, the Nexium uh, sex slave cult run by uh, Keith Ranieri. And this has kind of been a running uh, uh, story that we've we've checked in on since the beginning of the podcast because uh, you know a couple of years ago the the news was just breaking in the New York Times that this this whole sex cult was being revealed. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, we've talked about that a lot. I don't. Yeah, yeah, we've, yeah we've talked about it because at the time he was uh, he had been charged and and uh, you know then they had a trial and I would I would bring the nation up to speed on the, the, the goings on of the trial. Well, he was, you know, it was brought up in like 49 felony charges and really serious ones, you know, really everything from child porn, you know, uh, underage sex trafficking, uh, you know, identity theft, all kind of stuff. Anyway, he was convicted on all of that. So he didn't plead to any of it. He's convicted on all counts. Um, so, uh, so more recently he was just sentenced this past week. And, right. And yes. Build, I saw building that. up to the sentence, I've been watching this show on HBO, which I raved about. It's fascinating, called The Vow. And uh, just as the Vow series ended, another one cropped up on the same subject on the Stars Channel called uh, uh, Seduced, and that's from the point of view of India Oxenberg, who's one of his more famous. Uh, uh, victims and so uh-huh. so anyway it's this all built up to his sentencing uh tuesday uh, uh previous tuesday and he and got like life or something he got 120 years so uh so yeah See, i never understand these sentencings the guy's like no one lives to 120 yeah you know, i don't understand <laughs> you know like you know you have life sentenced two times i don't get that yeah you know? Yeah, I think they do it in case like uh, one of those sentences gets reversed somehow on a technicality. Well, they still got several others that uh, you know you're you're facing down. You know, the chances of you ever getting out uh, on appeal are almost almost uh, non-existent. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, Keith Raniere, he's uh, you know it's, uh, the the he's the one they they had the, uh, they, the the his people had to put uh, scars with his initials on or something like that. Yes, they were branding the the they're branding uh, them. Yeah, yeah, branding the women with with uh, Keith Raniere's initials with a cauterizing pen. See, I don't I don't remember talking about this much, but I do know this story. But and this is there was a an actress who was involved in this who recruited people, right? Yes, uh, yes. Um, uh, Allison Mack, I believe she was in one of those, uh, like uh, Smallville or something, sort of a some television show. But she was a successful actress. There was a few Hollywood people, uh, actresses that you know. This guy was really recruiting a lot of uh, good-looking girls. That was who who he was sending his well, people. Well, why out. not? I mean, if you're going to do a cult, you want to. Sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. That's that's the way you know. to go. But Hollywood, you know, uh, people are in the industry, especially the actors, the performers, they get caught up in this stuff big time yes. for some reason. I, I, I don't know. Maybe the, 
because they're constantly wanting uh, recognition or love. I, I don't know why. You know, it's like it's like the Scientology people attract a, a lot of uh, celebrities and stuff. Like yes, that. yes. Well, they go after them, and and those people who it's a kind of a self-selecting group. Like this guy, there's there's a ton of footage on this guy because he was such a megalomaniac. He had himself filmed constantly, and they have all that footage. And you see him talking to people saying, well, the, the, some of the recruiters are saying, well, some of these people, they, they feel like it's brainwashing. He goes, well, anybody that feels like this is brainwashing, we don't want anyway. You know, so <laughs> you know, run those people off. The people that are happy with this and don't think they're being brainwashed, that's who we can brainwash, you know. So, uh, yeah. Well, because I remember once, uh, I don't know if I told you this, in high school, me and a, a friend of mine, uh, we, we had this uh, – uh, 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 we were in this comparative ideologies class, comparative hmm. politics class. And, and I think it was 11th grade or something like that. And the guy was teaching it, me and my friend Dick Rude at the time, he, mm -hmm. we realized that he was, tr he was a Scientologist. Oh. And uh, we, he, he complained about it. And he actually had like his uh, uncle or brother come to talk to the, uh, administrators at our high school that this guy was preaching Scientology huh. and nothing happened. He's, you know, there was no, you know, not like today. I'm sure he would have been fired or today or suspended, but nothing happened back in 1980. So me and, and, um, we went down, uh, we decided that we were going to try to blow up the Scientology building in Hollywood. Oh, well, <laughs> and so we ditched school one day and we drove down to Tijuana to buy like, fireworks and dynamite and <laughs> and actually we walked over the border instead of driving through which was a smart thing to do hmm. and we we bought you would think it would be a dumb thing to do but it was actually it worked in our favor we we walked over the border and we bought all these quarter sticks of dynamite and firecrackers and we walked right back into america without even being frisked or asked our name or anything like that. And we drove back to LA and, and we just, we, we, there was no internet there. So we didn't know how to build a bomb or anything like that. Okay. Um, so we went to the Scientology building in, uh, in Hollywood and uh, we wrapped this shoebox full of all these quarter sticks of dynamite that we had bought. And we tried to figure out a way that it would be like a delay kind of thing. And long story short, nothing ever happened. Yeah. Up, you it's know. probably best. Probably best. Yeah. And the Scientologists and, are very litigious. They're a very litigious group, you know. You don't want to uh, tangle with them. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, and we were safe. We wore gloves and all that kind of stuff. We no, left no evidence, no prints or anything like that. Okay. And uh, I don't know whatever happened. They must have found the bomb. <laughs> you know, well, but the fireworks, they, not really a bomb. Let's not call it a bomb. Let's call it fireworks. Well, it was it was about <laughs> 20, 20 quarter sticks of dynamite taped together. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys were were going to celebrate. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, we tried to do that, and, and nothing ever came of it. And and uh, right, we, well. we 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 uh, we still uh, went to that guy's class. His name was. He didn't want to be called Mister So and So. You had to call him by his first name. Hmm. So uh, his name was Fred. Okay. And um, 
He's probably, trying to use some uh, Scientology techniques on you, trying to, to get you to, to uh, uh, audit with him or hold, hold the, uh, the, the e-meters or anything like that? Uh, I, no, nothing like that. I, okay. I just remember he would ride his bike to work every day, okay. and he had a helmet on. And his, he had Sounds safe enough. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> he, he told everyone in the class, I'll call you by whatever name you want to be called. Okay. And I thought that was, you know, at that time, you know, everyone has a punk rock nickname or whatever, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. What'd you go with? I, I told them I wanted to be called by my name. Okay. You know? So anyway, I'm going, I mean, I'm drifting off on that, you know, That's okay. <laughs> um, you know but uh, uh, anyway, maybe we should introduce our guest. Yes, yes, yes. He's, he's being very patient there, but I know he's got a lot to say. <laughs> So, uh, so our yeah, guest, our, right. our guest is a, a Grammy award-winning record producer. He's a musician, is a bass player, keyboard player, guitar player. Um, he's uh, also the host of a radio show, The Long Way Around, on uh, Radio Kingston. He started just about the same time as this podcast. I've been watching, and we kind of have a, a parallel track here. Okay. I, was, I was also uh, dabbling with the uh, education game as of late. So, uh, boys, and, boys, and he's uh, he's produced uh, a lot of terrific artists. You know, worked on on so, with so many great artists: Bob Dylan, uh, uh, you know, the Neville Brothers, Iggy Pop, Emmy Lou Harris, the Geraniums. The so, Geraniums. So, yes. uh, so, so we're going to get into all that. But so, without further ado. Mr. Malcolm Byrne. Welcome, Malcolm. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I know, I know. I can't, can't believe you, you, have, you made, made it onto the podcast. I haven't played this town for a long time. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Well, Malcolm, to, just to, to retrace uh, my, my familiarity with you, the first time I ever heard your name, I was out on the road in, in Europe with Chuck Prophet, and we, we, he had the uh, Bob Dylan Oh Mercy record. And he's mm. playing it for me, and, it's, and we're, we're digging it so much. He's like, oh, man, this record's so great. You know, this, Bob's really, this is a, a high watermark for him. You know, this is so cool. He's looking, he's like, who are all these guys? These are all New Orleans guys. And I'm like, yeah, that's, you know, guys that play with the Neville Brothers. Just, you know, guys, kind of, uh, you know. Um, Not to mention the Rock and Dopsy. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Well, we're going to get to Rock and Dopsy. But he goes, who's this Malcolm Byrne guy? He's all over this record. I said, I don't know. He goes, man, he's the secret weapon here. You got you to gotta meet that guy. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I'd, I've never seen that name before. Anyway, so, uh, so in fact, you are all over that record. Um, now, you guys, when you made that record, that was before you had Daniel Anwar had Kingsway here. And did you, how'd you make it? You, 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 uh, got a house and built a studio into it first of all let me just say uh it's great to talk to you renee and manny of course i've just met you but renee you're one of my favorite musicians and oh, uh I, I you know even th the fact that you even referred to me as a bass player is you know it's a <laughs> little embarrassing because oh, you're, you're you're to this day you're one of my all-time favorite musicians and i always oh. refer to you even mentally when i'm working on music i think well like geez you know if renee was here what would he do you know so wow and, that's, uh, i'm very flattered because i do the same thing with you malcolm i, I think so, about things i learn from you all the time so you know the the we have uh yeah a lot in common and we've made a couple of records together right like we did oh, the yeah. stuff 
Stefan Eicher's record. And oh, we did, no, we um, made a lot of records together. Yeah, we'll get we, into all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all that. But anyway, as far as the New Orleans thing goes, you know, I was um, living up in, in uh, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, which is where uh, my friend Daniel Lenoir, who's also a record producer, is originally from. And um, I had sort of gotten to know Dan a little bit, um, you know, on a number of different levels. And at one point he called me up and he said, look, I'm down, I've got this place down on Royal street that I'm renting like a, you know, apartment on Royal street. And I'm working on a record because Robbie Robertson told me New Orleans was the place to get inspiration. So he asked me to come down to help him um, kind of work through a bunch of different ideas. He was writing uh, material for a record that eventually came out called Acadie and, so, you know, I got down to New Orleans and I, I have to tell you that the culture shock was incredible, yeah. you know, coming, coming from Canada. Um, you know, I remember asking a friend of mine to, to put together a, a, a tape or something like, I was like, I'm going to New Orleans, you know, I have no idea about the music down there. And he put together this cassette with like, you know, Dr. John, you know, just everything, you know, all, all the New Orleans music that, that he could think of. Right. And I, I just kind of brainstormed and I got down to New Orleans and I remember Dan and I were working on his stuff. And one night he said to me, look, there's this band playing. They want me to make a record. Um, I forget where they were playing somewhere down there, the river, but uh, wanted to come along and see what you think. And it was the Neville brothers. Mm-hmm. And so we, we went to see that gig and Dan and I thought, yeah, we could definitely work with these guys, you know? And so we made, we, 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 between the two of us, agreed to, to work with them. And in the middle of making that record, which ended up being called Yellow Moon, and by the way, we, meant, we made that record in an apartment building right next to the Columns Hotel on Char- really? uh, St. Charles. Yeah, it's, it's called Emla Courts. It's a five-story apartment building. And legend has it that Emla stands for the name of uh, the guy who owned the building had five daughters. And each floor was named for one of his daughters. So it was Emily, Marie, Letitia. I don't forget. The oh. Anyway, it's right next. I mean, the building's there now, and now it's kind of been re-renovated. But at that time, it was kind of vacant. And so we took over that building, myself, Dan, Mark Howard, and made the, the Yellow Moon record. And okay. about halfway through that record, because um, Aaron, actually Aaron Neville, had suggested doing not one, but two Dylan songs on that record, uh, God on our side and the ballad of Hollis Brown. Sure. And so anyway, fast forward, but I forget what time it was like September or something of 1988. Dylan was playing in town. I think he was playing an outdoor gig in, in, in uh, city park or somewhere like that or whatever. Mm, okay. And he came by the studio and, you know, because he had been told by, uh, I think, Bono to, to work with Dan. So he, he wanted to meet Dan. So he came by the studio and we played him the stuff that, that uh, we'd been recording of his songs. And, <laughs> and um, he was pretty impressed. So nice. one thing led to another. And Bob decided that he wanted to make a record with us, with the same crew that was making the Neville Brothers record. Because I think he was looking for inspiration, and I think he 
felt that New Orleans would be a really good place to find that. And so come, I think, February of 1989, he had, I don't know if he bought a place, but he rented a, a place somewhere uptown. And uh, we rented a, a house on, it's still there. It's on uh, the inner, it's on the corner of Sonyat and Britannia. No, is it Sonyat and Britannia? I think so. Anyway, we rented that house and made that record there. And uh, yeah, it was cool. <laughs> nice, nice. You know, uh, you mentioned uh, Rock and Dopsy, uh, the great accordion player, uh, Zydeco accordion oh, player, yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. p- played on that record. I- I've told the story before, but not to you. Um, <laughs> uh, I-, I played a-, a gig right after that, that he was on the bill and mm. we were having dinner before the thing. And he's talking to all the Johnny Adams and, uh, you know, Sam McLean and yeah. he's going, yeah, you know, I, I did the session, uh, with, with Bob Dylan. Yeah. You know, I said, Bob Dylan, he's pretty big, man. Well, really had no idea who Bob Dylan was. <laughs> I, you know, I, it's, it's not surprising, but you know, that when Bob, before Bob made that record, he, I remember taking a couple of calls from him and he was obsessed with getting fats on the record. Like yeah. He really wanted fats to play on that album. It didn't work out. I think fats was like, I ain't playing with that guy. But, <laughs> but I, one of my favorite stories was when, when Dopsy came in the studio and it was, you know, his, his band, his rhythm section and, and uh, old blind Johnny, the saxophone player. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember Dan Lenoir said to uh, Dopsy, you know, um, is there any keys that you're comfortable, not comfortable playing in? Like, you know, cause we're trying to figure out what key to play this particular song. And, and Do- Dopsy says, well, I play in any old key you like as long as it's C O G. So I think whatever song we ended up doing with him was definitely in either C or G. And I think it was called where teardrops fall was the track oh, that nice. we did with him but uh, and my other favorite thing was we had you know to isolate johnny the saxophone player we we literally stuck him in a cupboard <laughs> i mean he's blind so he didn't it didn't really matter but yeah. uh, <laughs> so he's in this cupboard you know we've got him mic'd up and he did this great saxophone solo on the end of that song it was just beautiful it was just like the best and i remember dan walked into the the, the cupboard and said johnny you know, how do you feel about that solo? And Johnny goes, do you believe? Because I believe. <laughs> like, yeah, we, that was a great solo, man. <laughs> now, what was, what was the, the studio that Daniel had on Esplanade? Oh, Kingsway. Uh, Kingsway, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I remember, because I remember I went there. I don't know when he sold it or whatever, but Iggy Pop was recording there. Oh, well, I was making that record. so uh, early, In the early 90s. Yeah, Malcolm produced that record, American Caesar. Oops. Oh, I thought, okay. All right. And I went there because I was working for uh, uh, EMI. And I went there to interview Iggy with this film crew. Oh, shit. And, I'm, surprised uh, we didn't, I'm surprised we didn't meet, man. Yeah, well, I don't know. It was, it was at night. No, not EMI, Virgin. He was on Virgin at the time. Yeah, Virgin. Yeah, and uh, we went there to, to interview him for promotional stuff for the for the label and stuff like that. But 
It was basically just Iggy, me, the producer, and the cameraman. I don't remember meeting anyone else there. Yeah, I'm, it might have been a day off or something like that. Yeah, uh, but then we went out to City Park, our Audubon Park, and did some more of the interview. Mm-hmm. Um, are you still in touch with Iggy at all? I have not talked to him for a very long time. I mean, yeah, he's. I think he's living in Florida now. Yeah, yeah Jim, Jim and I had a pretty good rapport when we were making the record, but, uh, you know, sort of lost touch. Yeah, he's definitely. Well, I was friends with him way back before that. He knew me because uh, he had done the uh, uh, song for Repo Man, the movie. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. yeah. And I had met him then, and we had stayed in touch over the years off and on when I was in New York and stuff like that, and and our, or he was in L.A., Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it would be, I, I've been thinking about him because I, I know his, he, he, he left his, uh, wife or they broke up. I forget her Suchi. name. Suchi. She was. Yeah. Yeah. Suni or something like that. And now he's got <laughs> some big, big breasted Brazilian woman that he's hanging out with. Yeah. Yeah. Good old yeah. Job. And he's into birds. He's birds. got a lot of birds now, but, um, <laughs> you know, that, this is just all I know. I, I try to keep up with all the stuff, but, you know. Okay. I've, I've always thought of Jim as, like, the world's smartest dumb guy or the world's dumbest smart guy or something. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good That's a really way, good way to look at him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he's got to be one of the most, uh, for me at least, he, he was one of the most friendliest rock stars I've ever met in my life. Yeah. No, I mean, he... He uh, well, he's from, you know he's a he's from Michigan like he's a you know Detroit boy you know like yeah he's totally down to earth yeah so that that Kingsway though that was Daniel's studio and then he sold it to Nicolas Cage or something I don't really I don't really know the chronology of that because I had left New Orleans before that occurred. Really, you were gone before Kingsway got sold. Yes. Wow, yes. man. Yeah, that's, that's... I, I, yeah. So the chronology, the, the evolution of Kingsway was that we had this really great setup where we did the uh, Dylan record, and I remember one day Dan came into the studio and he said, um, "I've been talking to somebody, and there's this building down in the French Quarter, and I'm thinking about buying it, and I'd like you to come and check it out." You know, so. I went down there, and I thought, hey, I'm not quite sure, you know, like the middle of the French Quarter, maybe that's not such a great idea. <laughs> I mean, you know, but yeah. but uh, anyway, we, it became what it became, and and uh, but it, there was <clears throat> there was a bit of a weird thing that happened, you know, uh, with that whole scene down there that kind of left a bit of a bad taste in everybody's mouth. Um, Daniel's girlfriend. Well, I don't want to get into anybody's. I, you know what? I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't want to name any names. <laughs> no names. No names required. But you, you live in New Orleans, so you probably know who I'm talking about. But yes. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, there was kind of a a, a a negative situation that occurred, which which sort of did sort of taint um, what I would consider other an otherwise great memory. Um, but a lot of great work did get done there. I made a, a record with a guy called Chris Whitley there, and yes, and I and I did um, Brothers Keeper in that studio, the Neville Brothers. Um, 
Now, is this true that some of the equipment that was put in this uh, studio was uh, equipment from uh, the Beatles' uh, Abbey Road Studios that were brought over there? Oh, well, the mixing board, the API, came out of, out of I think... Abbey Road or something? No, no, no. It came out of place, in, I think, New York Recorders or maybe the record plant in New York. Um, but the, the no, what you're thinking about is the speakers. There were t- these uh, tannoy, uh, you know, full-range cabinets, 15-inch tannoy gold speakers, which I don't know if they actually came out of Abbey Road, but they were the sort of standard issue speaker at when the Beatles used to make records. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Whether or not they were the exact speakers from the studio, I, I really couldn't tell you. Also, you, uh, you did that, that, uh, wrecking ball record, uh, with Emmy Lou Harris at, at, uh, at Kingsway, right? Yeah. Well, we started that record in, in, um, in Nashville at, um, Woodland Studios um and then we we sort of got to a certain point up there and then brought it down to new orleans to kind of finish it off get a bit of oh, a, okay you know kind of get a bit of the new orleans vibe on there right it was so great having that studio there it brought so many people you know you had so much talent uh you know recording wise uh you know you uh had other people trina schumacher you mentioned trina, mark howard yeah. mark yeah for sure uh ethan allen you know ethan. Yeah. And then, then you know, all these people that came down, and then uh, you know, so at that time, I guess Jeff Treffinger was you became acquainted with him because he was doing some work at at uh, at Kingsway, like doing some construction work or you know whatever was going on there. And then so y'all became friends, and and then when you <laughs> opened up your own recording Jeff, studio, I remember the first thing I I remember Jeff Jeff and. Uh, um, uh, God damn it. I can't remember his name, right? Joel, Joel Ford. They, and they were working on something. And I said, you guys are like the seven dwarfs. <laughs> like making a <laughs> racket. I'm trying to mix a record, you know? Um, but yeah, Jeff, Jeff and I became, and, and remain very good friends, close friends. So, Right. So then when you started your, you put a studio in your house, the Brightson house that you had there and in, in, uh, in the Bywater, uh, yeah, yeah. The geraniums I, I, were the first record you made in there, right? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, that's exactly right, Renee. We, yeah, I bought that place over on um, Cluet and uh, Cluet and Rampart. Yep, that sounds go. right. Yep, right across. At that time, there was a place right across the street called the the New Orleans Iron Works, <laughs> and I had no idea when I bought that house, but I remember the first night I stayed there. And I, I woke up in the middle at like it's five thirty or six in the morning, and it was like New Orleans Ironworks is unloading metal into the back of a metal flatbed truck. Uh-huh. There was dogs barking. <laughs> There's a train track going right up the you know that train train sure. line that goes uh, was you know it's like a, a and then there was like you know somebody with his car going doo, 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 doo. <laughs> and, then, and then the river is about three blocks away so you hear every ship on the river blowing its horn and i was like if you wanted to find a noisier place to try and make records you couldn't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> not to mention the nine nine glock nine millimeters that used to go off occasionally so sure yeah. 
yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that's still going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was it was even more at that point. Uh, yeah, because because he was on the Riverside. He wasn't on the homicide of uh, Saint Claude. I was so, on you know, the homicide. I was on you, the, riverside. You, the Riverside, the good side. But even then, at that time, you had uh, you had uh, open drug traffic right on your corner there. The, oh Jesus! Yeah, they used to. There used to be cars parked like all around the corner, like. <clears throat> and I remember one time I got so goddamn fed up because they were all people coming in from the suburbs, right? Right. You know, white people coming in from like Metri and wherever to, score, yep. to, to buy from the the dealers down in the Ninth Ward. And I remember there was like this lineup of cars on a Friday afternoon, and I was standing up on my balcony, which like wraparound balcony with my. And I was watering my plants and I took the hose and I just started spraying it over the top of these cars. Like <laughs> get the hell out of my neighborhood. You know? Oh, uh, Jesus. Spoiling for a fight, Malcolm. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, well, uh, Manny, I'm, I'm looking at my cocktail. I think this might be a good time to, uh, to one up. Do you think? Re-up. Yeah, sure. Yeah, me too. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> So we're going to take a little break and we'll be right back. Sounds good. Please don't, honey, be so sad. I'll take your sorrow unto me. And with every little hope I have, I'll be holding back the regency. with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coman, back with our guest, Mr. Malcolm Byrne. Now, Malcolm, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this terrific product, but uh, we, we have a, an, an affiliation with, uh, with a great product that, uh, Manny, why don't you tell Malcolm about uh, the Velo Bar? Malcolm, are you stressed out? Always. Always, okay. <laughs> are you always looking for uh, a, a great new product? You know what? I love new products. The more okay. new products I can find, the better. Nice. I want to tell you something, Malcolm. I'm going to tell you about the Velo Bar. 
The Velo Bar, Malcolm, is a CBD mm. uh, protein bar. Yes. It's got 25 milligrams of CBD per bar. It's, takes the do- it's a perfect dose to take the edge off of whatever you're dealing with right now. And God damn it, we're dealing with a lot of shit. <laughs> you know, just think, just think, Malcolm, if, if Trump wins, there's going to be so many Americans coming to your country. You know that. <laughs> it's going to put a bird. Good luck getting in. Yeah. It's gonna, it's they said that last time. Yeah. Yeah, well, they're not going anywhere. You know, but it's a healthy, it's, it's a protein bar, Malcolm. And it's a plant-based protein bar from healthy superfood ingredients like pumpkin seeds, hemp hearts, and chia seeds. Yeah. It's a really, it's a breakfast bar. It's a bar that you eat after a workout. I don't know if you work out or anything like that, but it tastes yeah. fucking great. And it comes in two great flavors, peanut butter and dark chocolate. It's the Velo Bar, Malcolm. The okay. Velo Bar. <laughs> All right. Okay. It has... Is that the kind of thing I could eat before I go in the my booth? Yes, yes, exactly. exactly. I was thinking that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Or after exactly. yeah, when you're feeling very yeah. depleted yeah. after after a good yeah. going over in the in the voting yeah. booth. Yeah. Your cash booth, as we used to call them, cash booth. <laughs> cash you know. Booth. Well, cash is jack backwards. Oh, um, okay. Gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Malcolm, are you listening? I certainly am. If you go right now or even tomorrow or next week, yes. go to VeloBarCBD.com and check out their products and place an order. If you, you can get 15% off your order if you use the discount code, which is TroubledMen15. TroubledMen15 will get you 15% off your order and free shipping. Oh, yes. Hell, free that's not a damn deal right there. I could go yep. for that for sure. And apparently right now, you also get some free stickers to put on your laptop or on your forehead, wherever you or, want to. Put or just stick on somebody else's car. Though. Yeah, you can sure. stick on, you know, <laughs> someone's back. Yeah, exactly. But it's a great product. Uh, we, we had the CEO of the company on the show a few months back. He's a good guy, and we love him. And uh, you should check out this product. You know, okay. tell your friends all about it. You got to be sold. Velo Bar. Yeah, go to velobar.com. Velobar.com. Velobarcbd.com. Yeah, yes, cbd.com. Velobarcbd.com. Everybody listening to that? Yeah, the nation knows all about it. Uh, they've known it for a lot while now. And and apparently, uh, I talked to the CEO just a while back, and he says we're getting t- he's getting tons of orders from the nation. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes and uh, I, I need to re-up because the holidays are coming. Right. So right. I uh, and and I always get stressed out over the holidays, you know. But, yeah. Uh, because uh, people want you to eat constantly, and people want to talk to you, and it's just like uh, it's exhausting. Uh, it's exhausting, and, and it sounds like the kind of thing that, like, next time I'm visiting my 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 dad, um, who's you might 80, want eighty six, and we're out on one of our long ten k walks. I'd say, "Hey, Dad, would you like to try a Velo Bar?" There you there go. You go. He's very, he's very stressed out, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. um, You know. So anyway, yeah. Check it out, Nation. Check it out, Malcolm. Uh, And uh, that's all I got about the Velo Bar. 
Okay. Well, uh, as, as always, uh, Troubled Nation, if you want to support the podcast directly, you can jump on that uh, PayPal link there in the show notes or our Facebook page. And uh, uh, also, uh, the, the Troubled Men podcast t-shirts are still going out. We're getting more, uh, more photographs of, of our, our listeners wearing the shirt coming in. Maybe oh, where can I see those? Uh, well, some of them I've posted on Instagram and Facebook, and uh, so I'll, I'll continue to, to post those as people send them in. And uh, I have a T-shirt for you, Manny. And uh, oh, really? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, you know. No, I'm not going to be a walking billboard for anybody, man. You don't need to. You don't need to. You can just yeah. just uh, behold it, and and uh, you know, just just reflect in, in in the the fact that the nation is enjoying these uh, representing the the. Okay. You know, Trouble Men podcast out there. Anyway, so back to our guest, Mr. Malcolm Byrne. So uh, when when we left you, Malcolm, uh, we were just at the the point in the story where you and I actually meet. Uh, mm, I'm yes. I'm invited to play on the Geraniums record, and uh, and so it's you, me, uh, Brendan Brent. Gallagher, uh, Jeff, mm-hmm. and Brent Newman, aka Absolutely. Glenn Styler on the drum kit, and yes. and we we make what i think is still a, a fantastic record really holds up over time over the course oh my of God. it's still one of the favorite records i've ever worked on and i yeah. mean that absolutely sincerely it's it's so interesting man the the records that you make very quickly and uh you know that was a, a time when like uh, everything that we recorded at your house and and even at, at Lanois, a lot of the way that that you worked was you'd have amps in the room everybody's bleeding into everybody else's mic um, there's, you know, you can't really afford to make mistakes and save the take, you know, so mm-hmm. you just do a lot of takes and everybody concentrates and, you know, is an adult in the room and tries to do something great. And it, it was such good training. And, but, but the fact that we moved quickly, uh, it, it retained all the joy. We didn't work the fun out of it, you know? Yeah. Plus, you know, you get that, I mean, Going back to my uh, experience in particular with uh, Iggy Pop, you know, um, you know, there's a, there's a certain energy you get from just moving fast and moving forward, um, you know, uh, and that may be an uh, an effort to retain the live energy, you know, right. um, you know how many? I mean, I I used to be in a band, you know, way back when and in the 80s in Toronto and one of the things I remember when we went to make our record was I was kind of baffled by the fact that what I was hearing coming through the speakers in this expensive recording studio just didn't really get me that excited you know and Mm -hmm. and I knew I knew that our music was exciting because we used to play like you know four or five nights a week and people would just go berserk you know Uh and I was like well why isn't why, why am I, why am I not feeling that kind of enthusiasm and excitement for what I'm hearing here? And so one of the uh, gifts that I got from working with Dan Lenoir was uh, this idea of abandoning a lot of the, the typical sort of constraints of a recording studio and, you know, using, for example, live monitors and speakers and, and working quickly and getting that kind of energy into the recording. And to this day, that's that's something I, I will never abandon because I think even if you get the basis of a track that way, 
and then and then you can work diligently over top of that but at least you've always got that sort of energy underlying that sort of motivates you um i don't know if that's making a lot of sense right but. no that makes perfect sense and even you at at that time uh you know the 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 system you were using uh we weren't you weren't automating any mixes every mix oh was, God, a, no. was a live mix and i you would to 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 watch you perform a live mix it was like watching somebody play a drum kit or play any instrument it, it did totally... you record connie's love we i sure want did. connie's love no actually no that's a later song we didn't record that on uh, the first record okay. no 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 because no. that's one of my songs that i really don't that you remember yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, from, yeah. from the circle bar days but <laughs> yeah but the 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 performances the the uh the the live mixes that you would do they would have so much life in them you know it's uh, it's it, it was yet another aspect of of the immediacy that we were able to uh, preserve well you know it, it's interesting because one of the things that i'm struggling with you know because right now i'm you know just temporarily i'm, I'm stuck up here in canada i decided to help people up here that are getting a music recording engineering program off the ground. And they asked me to come in and sort of provide some guidance and expertise. Mm -hmm. And one, one of the things that I'm finding really challenging, especially working with some of the younger people that, you know, they've spent so much time on their laptops, you know, using programs like Ableton live or logic or, you know, whatever the hell, you know, they, they, it, the idea of actually just having people playing together in a room is is completely foreign to them. You know, it's, yeah, it's, you know what I mean. And <laughs> it's, so it's like I'm, you know what I mean. It's like I'm trying to teach, I'm trying to teach somebody like some completely foreign language. You know, and it, and it, to me, it's such a basic thing. And the fact, the idea that we've moved so far away from that, it's nothing to do with the technology. You know, like. You know, you you would think that the digital, well, Renee, like I'll go back to a, a, a something that, uh, you know, because we we ended up working with the guy called Stefan Eicher over in in uh, Switzerland. Yes, and I, and I remember something that that he said to me that I thought was really interesting. He said, you know, in the old days, uh, you know, you the technology had to you know rule right. Like if you were recording something with, say, for example, a click track or some kind of fixed time, you know, you had to play to that, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas now the technology is at the point where you can record a track like completely free time and you can actually go in and have, create like a tempo map to, to suit all the time changes. And I'm like, why the hell aren't people doing that? Like, you know, why, why are people so subservient to the technology? It should be the other way around, you know? You know, it's there for a reason and it's there to be creative. It's not something that you have to feel dictated to by, you know? And, yeah. uh, anyway, long conversation, but. Well, you know, so, something that, uh, that, that I had in my notes and that I, I want to touch on may as well now, um, you know, you and, and Daniel uh, kind of come out of the Eno school of, of like uh, taste over technique yeah which which i love which you know the idea that uh you know yeah we could we could have a bunch of complicated shit and try to wow them with that but really 
that's not what music is about. You know, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I don't know. You, no, you know I, what it, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, and I think that, um, again, it's, it's something that I feel not only in our field of music, but I think as a society, we, we've, we've, we've become so enamored of technology um, you know, everybody lives by algorithms now, you know what I mean? Like, yes. And, and that sort of, uh, human quality that, um, you know, look as human beings, what we try to do is control our environment. That's, that's what we've always done. I mean, since the beginning of, you know, human evolution, we, we've tried to tame our environments, right. That, you know, right. we, we've done that to sort of try and control ourselves from being eaten by wild animals. <laughs> you know, we've, we've done it with agriculture. We've done it with technology. We've, you know, this current election that we're still in the middle of is a prime example of how people started looking at models instead of looking at the real world. You know, mm. um, COVID is another example, you know, people put stuff in and, and, and there's this old saying garbage in garbage out, right? Like, right. you know, an algorithm is only going to give you back what you put into it. A, ca a computer still, you know, a pig is still actually smarter than a computer, right? Because pigs actually can rationalize. They, they have the ability to reason, right? A computer can't rationalize. It can't reason. It can only just sort of give you a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of data back based on the data that you put into it, right? right. Calculations. Yes. Right. And, and human beings are irrational. Like this is something Sigmund Freud figured out in 1870 or 75 or whatever year it was mm -hmm. when he, he, you know, he, Sigmund Freud, the basis of Sigmund Freud's psychology is that he, he, unlike everyone who had come before him, it was his eureka moment. He said, human beings make most of their decisions based on irrational choices. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and to, to, you know, we're using computers to, to try and emulate irrational decision-making processes, right? And, right. and so how, what, 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 what specializes one individual from another? You can have two people who are equally adept at playing, you know, piano or guitar or whatever, but one of them is a genius and brilliant, and the other one's just a technocrat, Right. Right, and it's probably because the person who's quote a genius or, or special or whatever the word is, is in tune with something, you know, that has nothing to do with ra rationality at all, right? Yes. it's just called intuitive behavior. Yes, right? the divine, the divine. Sure, you know, you could get spiritual about it as much as you like. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's a know. way to explain it. Right, and 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 you know, the thing is. When you're recording, and this is, this is my approach, is what I want to try to do is to be as in touch with the divine as possible at all times, yes. you know? Yes. Like, w however you can create a situation in, in a studio where people are, are feeling like something really, really special is going on, you know? Right. Um, it's not just a process. Um, now... I know people who can do great work the other way. That's fine. That's their way of working. But for me, you know, I, I have to feel like something, something that is otherworldly is occurring 
you know, in sure. order for something really wonderful to, to be the end result. And I'm yes. kind of going on and on. Yes. And on about no, no, it. I love, I love all this stuff, you know, and it, it reminds me of the, the, that's something I will repeat in, in a session in the future. Just like, like another Malcolm Byrne ism that I, that I've repeated on many occasions is one time we were working and we we're doing those, those live takes, you know, where everybody's bleeding into everything and we we're doing, you know, many, many, many takes, 10, 20, 30. And, and you told a story where you were recording with Emmy Lou Harris and she'd mm -hmm. been doing this, doing takes. And, and Daniel said uh, to the tape operator, he said, or, or whoever was chronic, he goes, what take is that? And he goes, Oh, it's like uh 56 or something. And he goes, 56, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, gee, Emmy, you, you want to take a break or something? And she goes, Oh no, I'm, I'm just figuring out how I want to sing this song. I'm good. And you're yeah. saying, look, if Emmy Lou Harris can do 50 takes and still want to do more, uh, you know, here we are in a room with uh, world-class equipment, all great players. Uh, you know, this is what I've tried to, to the situation I've tried to put myself in my entire life. If you, if any of y'all have something better to do than this, <laughs> you, you should go do it. Yeah. <laughs> because Wait, like, I don't. Really? <laughs> You don't want to keep playing music? I mean, what the frig do you want to do? Like, I thought, yeah, that's, but you know, like musicians, we get lazy like everybody else. You know, you want to do a few takes. Oh, that's good enough. You know, that's, that's good. Oh uh, yeah. I like the first one. First one's better than the second one. It's like, well, let's hear what this, the, the, what the 30th one sounds like if we have time, you know, if we have yeah, time I mean, for it. The, the, the biggest struggle I'm having, having is with some of these students that, you know, you, you record a thing and then they just want to take it into their computer and put it into logic and they want to use like, you know, um, time correction and pitch correction and they right. want to cut and paste everything. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what, do you know how many people on the planet are doing it that way? <laughs> you know, probably like, yeah, I couldn't even come up with a number. It's probably about 40 million people. A lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but there are very, very few people left on this earth that know how to just put, you know, get a great performance out of a singer or a musician that's pure, you know? And yes. uh, anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, man. as Brian Eno says, if everybody's doing it, it must be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, so, so now let's set the stage. Uh, it's, it's uh, uh, 1998, I think. And, and uh, or 19 yes and and we all you, you send out the the bat signal uh for for a uh, uh, uh an elite group it's uh it's carlo nucio on drums <laughs> oh, me on bass really jeff treffinger as as uh the the engineer and and or, or uh, you know a worker and a guitar player uh, we all assemble, you assemble us all uh, in, in uh, Engelberg, Switzerland. Uh, I remember Carlo showing up in his shorts. <laughs> <laughs> they lost his luggage <laughs> on the way there. So it's, the, it's, it's like November in Switzerland and Carlo has <laughs> Carl shorts walks. on. <laughs> shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. So we, we, we start recording in a, uh, uh, it was like the town hall of this little town, Engelberg that, that yeah, you guys the, had, go ahead. It's called the course hall. <laughs> right. Right. And you guys had installed a, a studio in there over the previous two weeks. And, uh, 
it had some for some reason there was a Bedouin tent set up in the middle of it. I don't know. You know what? You know why that is, no. Renee? It's <laughs> why? because it's because Swiss people are very sincere. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, you know, we've been spending all this. We had uh, this. We had the uh, backline from the Swiss cheese and chocolate company, which was run by this guy who did all the backline for had been doing the backline for the Montreux Jazz Festival for like 35 years. Okay. We had, you know, access to all this great equipment and stuff. And I remember at one point, and this amazing, you know, gear that came from Paris, from the, like the best sound company in France, you know. And I remember at one time, Martin, the, the uh, manager for the artist, said to me, oh, Malcolm, is there anything else you need? And I said, yeah, how about a Bedouin tent? <laughs> and it was just a I mean, it was just like one of these offhand jokes, you know. Sure enough, like three days later, these people come in with this giant Bedouin tent and set up. And I was like, really? <laughs> okay. Oh. That's cool. <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> did, did Carlo borrow money from you? Not me personally. Okay. So you'll never get it back. Uh, 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 yeah. I don't think I've ever. I don't think I've ever lent money to Carlos. So. Good. Uh, <laughs> but anyway. yeah, the uh, the Swiss weren't sure what to make of Carlo. For sure, he was a uh, a bull in a china closet. Yeah, he was he was a little uncouth for their conventions. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but we had a, a whirlwind uh, recording session there. It was a solid two weeks of of working there and the and the and, and uh, carrying on in the bar every night. Oh man. Good times, good times, Malcolm. Yeah, but we did great, great work, and actually, fairly recently, somebody uh, got hold of me and said, "Man, that record that you guys made with uh, that guy Stefan over in Switzerland is like really a great album, you know." So something good came of it for sure. Oh, yeah, no, no, it was it was wonderful, and and again, that was that was like the the next time that you and I had worked together, and then after that, it wound up that me and Carlo played on a, a bunch of uh, productions of yours in New Orleans. We, we, uh, we uh, worked, I was looking at all of them. So Uni Wilhelmsen is a, a yep. woman uh, who, who actually I'm still in contact with, Norwegian artist. You well, one of, the, one of the standout projects, I don't know if Carla played on it, but I know you did, was with um, the Irish woman, uh, Sinead, o Sinead, Sinead Lowen. Lowen. Yes, that's that, that, that is one of the greatest I mean, I love that record to this day. That's yes, that's a, it is a terrific record, man. No Mermaid, yeah, I love that one. Yeah, that's a beautiful record. And uh, yeah, you you played a lot of great stuff on that album, Renee. Oh well, thank you, Malcolm. Thank you. And one of my favorite quotes, and okay. I've told you, and I'll say it again, is you you said one day you came in and you, I forget what we were talking about, but you said your father said like if you can solo a track and you can dance to it, then it deserves to be in the mix <laughs> yeah. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. My father would say that every person in the band should play as if, if someone heard just your part, it would make them want to dance. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> I, I've, I've so taken that to heart. It's such a great, it's true. You know, it's like, what the hell is that part doing on there? It's we can't dance to that. Fuck that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, and just to recap some of your, your highlights that, that I'd like to touch on. So you made a record with Patti Smith, Gone mm -hmm. Again. That must have been an incredible experience, huh? 
Uh, yeah, well, especially because it was like her sort of comeback record. Right. You know, she, had, she had gone, you know, she had mar- uh, married Fred, Fred Sonic Smith, and kind of moved back to Ann Arbor and become like just a mom, not, not just a mom. I mean, that's an important thing to do, but you know, this was her sort of in back record, you know? So there was a lot of, um, you know, a lot of scrutiny involved in that record. So we didn't want to make a crap record. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You don't want to make a bad Patty Smith record. (laughs) No, no, um, not at all. And uh, it was, it was pretty intense. I mean, Patty, Patty is definitely a great, song where you know she's one of the best um but you know we had a lot of eyes watching on us so it was, sure you know, the, the pressure was there for sure yeah man absolutely gee it was um well so more recently malcolm as i was i alluded to uh you you started this radio show and we you started almost the same week that we started the troubled men podcast really uh, yeah, yeah, because because you you just put out episode one thirty, and we're on episode one twenty eight. But we have a couple of episodes that were uh, that were you know like three parters. They were so long, oh, so we okay. So Fair it's enough. it's it's tracked now. But on your show, you'll you'll pick a different artist. So it's it's called the long way around uh, on on uh, Radio Kingston up in the the Hudson Valley, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and you just put out one thirty, but you'll just going backwards just to let the nation know. That, so the one thirty was uh, two hours on Johnny Cash. Yeah, exactly. The show before that was two hours on Glenn Gould. Yep. Mm-hmm. Before that, Johnny John Cale. Mm-hmm. And before that, Sir Michael Tippett. Right. So you're really you're really covering the waterfront here, Malcolm. You have such I, a such an like. Go ahead. I think the week before that was a, a whole show about Pat Metheny. Pat Metheny, yes. And two weeks before that was uh, Charles Bukowski. Yes, absolutely. Hank. So, so uh, I mean, I don't even know who Sir Michael Tippett is, Malcolm. <laughs> uh, he's actually one of the foremost composer, uh, modern classical composers of the 20th century. So, okay. Um, an English guy, Sir Michael Tippett. Uh, I think the 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 album that I or, or the body of work that I featured was a composition that he actually wrote in the early stages of the Second World War. Um, he he had uh, seen uh, something about the Kristallnacht, you know, the persecution right, of the sure, Jew- yeah, Jews, yeah, yeah. The, and, the and he was so kind of shocked and appalled by that uh, as a sort of a warning sign. You know, before people really realized what was going on, he, he, he so he wrote this beautiful um, oratorio, you know, about a guy, a young, I forget the guy's name, but he was a young Jewish man who assassinated a, a high ranking Nazi official. And the, the Nazi response to that was to, you know, the crystal knock occurred. So, you know, right. So, and it's, it's an interesting piece because it doesn't necessarily justify the young man's actions because apparently he had spoken about it with his parents and they said, you know, if you do this, there's going to be retribution against our people. Right. And, and, but he went ahead and, and did it and the rest is history. So, right. so I thought that was a worthy interest, you know, worthy uh, thing. 
<laughs> no, absolutely. No, it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's amazing. Uh, you know, uh, the, the breadth of, of the artists that you cover and it's so cool the way you do it, man. That's, uh, well, thank you. Thank you. Um, is, is that something you were approached about doing or just an idea that you had? Oh, I think I want to start doing something like this. Well, no, I mean, the station manager, uh, his name is Jimmy Buff. He, he said, like, would you like to do a show? And I, I said, well, as long as what I do is only about music and I get to do whatever I want, <laughs> sure, I'll do it. Yeah. You know? And and I didn't want to get stuck into a bag, you know. Um, I mean, the only the only bag I want to, would want to be stuck in is that you can always expect something different and interesting and new. Well, so you're you're up there in uh, in the Hudson Valley. There's a ton of musicians living up there. Oh it's yeah, the Woodstock like, area. Mm -hmm. um, have you crossed paths with with any uh, any anyone? Or the Troubled Nation would be thrilled to hear about. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, Kate Pearson from the B-52s was up here. Um, oh, okay. Gosh. Nice. like the She's song. the one with the rack, right? She had the big rack, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's got the rack, dude. <laughs> yeah, I dug her. In fact, I remember back in the late 80s, my band and the Red Hot Chili Peppers opened for the B-52s, the Long Beach Sports Arena. And we were just green. My band was so green. It was like our biggest gig ever. We'd just been playing small clubs. We did our 30 minutes and we, and, and we left. We went backstage and the Chili Peppers came on and they did their set. In the middle of their set, uh, Flea and Anthony said, man, we can't wait for the B-52s to come on because of Kate and her huge fucking rack. And we love her. And after that show, they got fired. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> uh, um, so, uh, did, now, did you say that you'd cross paths with uh, with uh, Levon Helm up there, or, or? Yeah, I mean, I, I I actually played as Ramble a couple of times. Oh, okay. Yeah, nice. uh, myself and my wife played once, and I also did the gig with Emmy Lou with uh, Levon. And that was great. I mean, what a cool guy. Yeah, no kidding, man. Jesus, wow, what a what a talent. Yeah, he's he's like the real deal. <laughs> yeah, no shit, man. Well, so Malcolm, you're 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 teaching now. At, Just and, temporarily. It's not a I'm, it's not a full time career decision. <laughs> sure, sure, it. sure. I don't want people to get the wrong idea. But yes. teaching in Canada is probably better than teaching in America, right? Um, you know what? I think it's probably all pretty much the same. Like, you know, it's, it's a weird idea to teach music. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I can understand teaching formal music, but teaching what I do, it's, uh, God, I don't know. Like I, 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 I never like formally learned anything. I'm completely self educated. So it's weird to sort of go into a room full of people and say, well, I'm going to teach you something that I learned myself. <laughs> so you feel that you're cheating the students? <laughs> I, I just, you know, the, the real honest truth is if you want to do something, just get the hell out there and do it. You know, don't go to school. You know, you're wasting your time and your money. Just, you want to play music, get the hell out there and play it. You know, like. So is that it. what you tell your students? 
I have said that. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, you can you 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 can pass on some of of the your wisdom that you've gained through doing it, but ultimately people have to learn these lessons for themselves. You know, that's, that's yeah. What you're like saying. you're only you're only going to learn by doing it. You know, and I so so what I try to do is trying to I try to set up a an environment where people can learn by making mistakes. You know, right. Well, you know so. So much yeah. of, of what you do and, and, and is, is, you know, it's problem solving on, on, you know, the most basic level you're involved. It's, you know, hypnosis, uh, you know, trying to manage a room full of musicians who have all have ideas about, you know, what they think should happen, but, you know, you have to, uh, herd them all or guide them all in a certain direction to it's, it's incredibly complex. Mm. It does require a lot of psychology, that's for sure. You know, I mean, when you have somebody who, for example, um, like, well, you know, let's just talk about Brendan, for example, Brendan Gallagher. You know, Brendan is a completely untrained musician, right? Um, right. So for, for when you're working with a guy like Brendan, like, he he really just has to be in the mood, you know? And yeah. if he's not, if he's not in the mood, you're not going to get anything out of that guy, you know, like, so, you know, that's, that's more the kind of thing I'm interested in. You know? How do you create that mood? And, and yeah, exactly. And how, how do you sustain that to get the best out of people, you know, and that's not something you're going to learn like from some textbook or YouTube or something. Right. Thing, you know, so you know, one, one thing I learned from doing those sessions at your, at your house is like, you'd walk to the back of the house and, and you'd hear the playback coming several rooms away. And, and once all the highs and, and all the, the reflections, all the stuff that you hear almost too much in the, in the control room, once all that would die away, you could kind of hear the heart of the track when you're back mm-hmm. making tea or something, you know, and you'd walk back. It's like, what take was that? That sounded like something. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about recording or any artistic pursuit is you're looking, you're always trying to find the truth, you know, and uh, the, the truth can be revealed in a lot of different ways. But one of the best ways to do it is to listen from a distance. I think that's the idea, you know. Right. Well, Malcolm, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. Uh, you know, it's, it's been a thrill to have you. Oh, it's my pleasure, Renee. It's so great to talk to you guys. Um, well, Manny, uh, you have any, any uh, final closing thoughts here? Yeah. Uh, after uh, this show, I, 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 uh, I'm reminded of that episode of Friends <laughs> where um, – Ross forgot Rachel's birthday, so he had to cut off his dick. <laughs> okay, I don't remember that one, but uh, I never really yeah. watched the show. Um, yeah, but okay. But it's all been right. a good time, a good time for nice. all. Thank you, uh, uh, Malcolm. Thank you, and and what do we usually say? So uh, on the Trouble Nation, we always like to say, uh, "Trouble never ends, but the struggle continues." Good night. Good night. I'll see you next time.